The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right, let's listen now to um, Luke chapter 4. Actually, John chapter 4. Howard's like, wait a minute. Okay, our scripture reading is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to, to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us, this, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I, I will give him will, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have five, you've had five husbands, and the one you, have, one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Howard. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time and his word this morning. I'll move this down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that you sent your son Jesus, who is the well of life. 
Father, I pray in the next few minutes that you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to see all the lies that we're believing, all the wells that we're running to, trying to get water, <laughs> but we're really ingesting rocks and mulch, salt water, things that can never satisfy and will always leave us empty, if not hurt and broken. Father, open our eyes to your son Jesus. I pray that you would seduce us as Jesus seduced this woman to open her heart to him. Father, only you can do that. So do it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a story about a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman who has been going to a certain well every day, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, for much if not most of her life. It's a story about a woman who has to carry a large pot on her shoulder in the heat of the day to go and draw water and get temporal relief, knowing that she's going to have to go again the next day. And that's where she is physically and emotionally. But it's also the story of a woman who is seeking to quench her thirst at another well. The well of men. Five husbands she has had. Five husbands. How many years does that, that span? We have no idea. But maybe she's done with marriage because the man she's with now is not her husband. And she's thirsty. And she's tired. And I can only imagine she's a bit skeptical. This Jesus. This hope of Israel. This, this Messiah that's supposed to come and bring satisfaction. Really? Come on. Who would believe that? But it's also a story about a seventh man. A seventh man who meets her at the well. Who asks her for a drink. And then begins telling her about her thirst and about the solution to her thirst. It's about the Lord Jesus who is life himself. He says in, um, in verse 13, he says, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This whole concept of Jesus being life, of Jesus being the party, 
of Jesus being the wine, the best wine, the most wine, life that wells up to eternal life, not something that just helps you cope for a few days, not something that you take a sip of just to kind of get through life, but this is overflowing, unbelievable, unthinkable life, joy, freedom, happiness in such a way that, that it has to be described over and over again. We, we're going to see in John, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We're going to see He's the bread of life. We see here He's the water of life. Jesus is life or He's not anything. Are you drinking deeply of Him if you're not, if you're not experiencing life, if I'm not experiencing life, when I'm not experiencing life, when you're not experiencing life, it's because we're not drinking deeply of Jesus. We're drinking the salt water. We're drinking the rocks. We're drinking the mulch. But we're not drinking of Jesus. Because Jesus is life. The way that you can identify that you're drinking from a, a, a well whose water cannot sustain you is you have to keep going back to it, or you have to keep changing the well. And with technology today, and with how transient we are as a culture, I think the very root of it is, is, is the fact that, that we are looking for different wells every second of every day. That is what social media offers a shiny new outfit. I bought shirts I didn't even know I wanted off of Instagram. A shiny new car. A fit body. A prettier face and complexion. A bigger house. A better job. A newer church. We can get anything. It's just selling one well after another, and we keep going, and we keep moving, and we're, we're busying ourselves going from one well and trading that well for another, and we're still not satisfied. But we keep buying the lie that the next thing is going to do it when Jesus offers so much more. Jesus offers Himself. He doesn't offer to make your life perfect. He offers to satisfy your soul in an imperfect life. He offers Himself, and He does so. I, I've never, I've, I don't know how many times I've read or preached on this text, but this stood out to me this week, and you may say, Richard, I can't believe you're just now seeing it. But the whole Samaritan woman, I asked myself, did John not know her name? Why, does, why, are, why are we just referring to this as a Samaritan woman? We have so many other names throughout the New Testament and the Bible. Why doesn't John give us her name? Because he doesn't want to give us her name. He wants us to have this word picture. He wants us to have this picture, a Samaritan woman, a nobody. Jesus meets nobodies at the well. Dear friends, do you feel like a nobody this morning? Do you feel like you're insignificant? Do you feel like your life is worth nothing? Jesus wants to meet you at the well this morning. That's the kind of God He is. He meets nobodies at the well. And I love this passage. I think it's a polemic for the gospel. It's an argument for the gospel. And that's really my three points this morning, is I'm going I'm to tell you why you and I should be drinking deeply of the water of Jesus. And the first reason is this. We should drink deeply of the water of Jesus because it makes somebody's out of nobodies. And oh, what a great point. I'll never forget the day that I fell in love with my wife. 
I was 16 years old. I'd been a Christian a year, and we were on this youth camping trip, and I didn't talk to her the entire weekend because she was way out of my league, and I knew it. I mean, she was popular, she beautiful, athletic, everybody liked her, all the guys were around her, and I'm like, yeah, I got no shot. And on the way back, one of the guys, older, you know, maybe a senior in high school, I don't remember, asked her to ride in our truck. My 1972 Ford pickup, three on the tree, baby, just a bench seat on the front, and uh, she, was, she was sitting right by me, and I was like, oh no, I was so nervous. I was like, I can't believe he invited her. This is going to be the longest ride, because they're going to be talking, I'm going to be the fly on the wall, but it, just, it was just the opposite. We started talking. And over time, I mean, I was, there wasn't any selling for me. I was sold, you know. But as we're talking, I'll never forget this thought came in my head. I think she might like me. I think she might be choosing me. Changed my life. This woman has no idea because of the, the sins that she's committed, because of the life that she's lived, because she's just human and broken, she has no, she can't even muster up enough faith that the Son of God would choose her. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Ann Voskamp in her new book, Waymaker, highly, highly, highly recommend that book, says this, the chosen are simply the ones approached by an enamored God who can't stop thinking about you. This turns and reorients your life. I mean, it's hard to even imagine that. It, 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 it almost feels like heresy, that God can't get you out of His mind, that God can't get me out of His mind. But that's who God is. He is love. And what is love? Utterly consumed with the other. Utterly concerned about you, about me, not about self. Her of all people, she knows what Jews think of her. Samaritans were half-breeds. The Samaritans were the ones that, that were not even worth carrying into captivity in 722. These were the poor Israelites that, I mean, there was no reason to even take them out of Israel. And so they were left behind when all the other Israelites were taken into captivity. And so they were kind of left in the land, and they started intermarrying uh, Syrians and others, and they kind of fabricated this uh, new brand of um, Judaism that was no brand at all, and therefore, I mean, they were heretics. They worked to worship God on Mount Gerizim. Of course, Israelites worshiped God on Mount Sinai, and, and, you know, this is, so this is how Jews excuse me, Mount Zion, this is how Jews felt a certain way about Samaritans. They were heretics, they were worthless, they hated them. And she knew this. She knew this. It was surprising, and it was the initial readers would pick up on this, that a Jew would even travel through Samaria 
I mean, it was a stretch to even do that because you don't even want to be around a Samaritan. And yet here's this Jewish man. And notice what Jesus does. He's waiting at the well. She comes to the well, and what does he do? All he says is, will you give me a drink? This is so beautiful. <laughs> I, you know, you artists out there, you I wish I could have that sculpture of, of, the, of Jesus sitting at the well asking the woman for a drink. It, it's, an, it's an open door. I mean, what Jew would ask a Samaritan for a drink, much less drink water out of her pot? Will you give me a drink? The Son of God asking her for a drink. Living water, asking water from a Samaritan woman who's been married five times and is now living with a man. Oh, it's so beautiful. And you know, this is how God works. Sometimes it's just God meeting you at a well, a place you've been a thousand times. Maybe you walked in this room, you've been at church a thousand times, and you weren't expecting God to meet you here. Friends, God can meet you here. He can meet you at work. He can meet you on your run in the morning. He can meet you at the breakfast table. He can meet you. You can sit with God alone and commune with living water himself. You, a nobody. He sees you. He knows you. And he wants to meet with you. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? This is what God does. You see, it's shocking that God would want to meet with you. It's shocking that God would want to meet with me. You say, oh, Richard, you don't believe what you're saying, right? You're a preacher. Are you crazy? Half the time I feel guilty for being a preacher. <laughs> because half the time I feel too unworthy to be a preacher. Because I'm not drinking of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't take a detour to meet with sinners. That's his entire journey. That's the whole road. He, you're the only one he's coming to. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. Are you sick this morning? He wants to sit at the well with you. Oh, what a Savior. Does that describe you? Open your heart. Open your heart to Him. Secondly, the reason we should take a drink of Jesus and drink deeply of Him is because the water Jesus serves up, let me, let me just read it. Uh, we should drink the water Jesus serves up because his love heals our wounds of rejection. I was 15 years old, and basketball was my life. And that's not figurative. That is, that's not, that is literal. Basketball was my life. Well, girls too. Um, but basketball mostly. And that's all I did. I worked out. I, I you know... Geared my, what I ate, what I drank, everything, basketball. I went to, I was going to a new high school, Christian Brothers High School, and that summer I went to the basketball camp, and, and Coach Charlie Leonard, uh, it was Charlie Leonard's basketball camp, and I won, he, at, at the end of the camp, he awarded me a basketball that, that had in big, proud, uh, you know, 
letters on the basketball, best ball handler. Oh, man, I was on the team, and I knew it. Tryouts came. I absolutely blew it. I crushed under the pressure. And, and yet, I still thought, well, just maybe. And I went to the locker room at the end of the week, the end of the tryouts, and I read the list, and I had to go back to the top and read it again because my name wasn't on it. Rejection. But that set me up to have some time to go on this trip with this youth group. I didn't know anybody. I grabbed a friend. We went on this trip. The very first night, I heard about a God that loved me, that knew everything I had ever done and chose me. It changed my life forever. And little did I know that little rejection, as I look back on it now, oh, it was so real then, and it was real. That little rejection and all the rejection before, the rejection of my father leaving our home, the rejection of my father choosing my brother to live with him and me going with my mother, all the rejection of my life which is building up to this one moment when I got to see that there's an acceptance better and greater than any rejection you can ever experience. And it's the acceptance of God himself. It, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to build a bridge to God for sinners like you and me that have been rejected time and time and time again because we weren't built for rejection. We were built for love. We weren't built to be thrown to the side. We were built to be embraced. We weren't built for detachment. We were built for attachment. We were built for love, and the love of God is, is the ultimate reality that we were built for but because we were built by it. This woman knew rejection. Jewish men would rather spit on her than ask for a cup of water. And you hear it. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then in parentheses, John says, hey, in case you didn't know, uh, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Oh, but this Jew does. Jesus saw her, a Samaritan woman. But he didn't just see a Samaritan woman. He saw a Samaritan woman created in the image of God. He saw a Samaritan woman who had inestimable value. He saw a woman that everybody else rejected and nobody else appreciated. And he said, oh, let me, I just, I live to open your heart and your eyes to your worth. Anybody need to hear that this morning? You see, Jesus didn't take away her Samaritanness. He didn't take her ethnicity away. He didn't take her gender away. He didn't make her gender neutral. He didn't. He took her for who she is, a Samaritan woman with all of her scars, and he enfolded her with his love. Dear friends, he sees all of you, and he wants all of you. Listen to this. Jesus sees this woman. You don't have to hide from him this morning. I love this. This is like a counseling session, but a counseling session with God. Um, every counselor is trying to get to something in your heart and in your life. Well, Jesus just puts it on the table. 
Listen, Jesus said to her, um, or Jesus said to the woman, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, uh, well, I have no husband. Jesus said, yep, you're right. You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Can, can you take that in for a minute? God knows every single thing you've ever done. He knows your deepest secrets. He knows your deepest thoughts. He knows the thoughts that you would be horrified, that you'd have to, to go run out of this room so ashamed and so embarrassed if anybody else knew it. He knows every single thought, and he stands in front of you, and he says, I see you. And I invite you in. Oh, my goodness. This is what every human being wants. One of my best friends is writing a book about his father, who's kind of a legendary fisherman in Mississippi, and he's fished all over the world, Alaska and all these places. And he asked his dad one day, he said, Dad, why do you fish? And his dad said this, well, I reckon every fish I've ever caught, I found my say, myself saying, look, Dad, I caught this one for you. His dad died when he was 14 years old. Dear friends, the deepest longing of our heart is for somebody to see us and say, I see you, and I love you, and I want you. And that is what Jesus is doing with this woman. And that's what Jesus is doing with you this morning. And I love it because this is a Samaritan woman. I wish she had a name, Ashley, Rebecca. <laughs> it's just the Samaritan woman. Why? Because God wants you to know he sees you. And he knows your name. And he knows mine. And then thirdly and finally, we should drink the water Jesus serves up because it offers the intimacy for which we were made. This is I've seen so many new things. That's what I love about God's Word is it's just it's like an endless mine. I mean, around every corner, you're like, I thought I'd been there before. I never saw that. But this whole connection between this woman's life, and then he kind of goes off into, into this talking about worship. Ten times, he he, the word worship is used in verses 20 through 26. He said, I thought we were talking about water. Why are we talking about worship now? No, he was talking about worship when he was talking about water. The whole thing's about worship. Ten times he mentions this. Worship, not water, is the true theme of this dialogue. Why? Because we were made by intimacy for intimacy. I want you to hear that. Because you're saying, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about worship. Oh, yeah, we're talking about worship. We were made by intimacy for intimacy. Intimacy is not an option. It's a demand of the human soul. It's what we're demanding of everything around us. You must love me. I'll, you must give me the intimacy for which I was created and for which I long. Opening yourself up um, to be loved in the secret places, this is what intimacy is all about. It's giving yourself to another. 
this is why when, we, when I use the word intimacy, most people think, oh, wow, okay, we're getting weird here. We're talking about sexual connotations, intimacy. That is intimate relationship. But that is, that's not even, okay, sexual relationship, wonderful, incredible. Thank God for inventing it and all of that. But that is a sign. That is a shadow of the kind of intimacy that you were made for. <laughs> There's a sense in which Jesus is spiritually seducing the Samaritan woman. He is asking her to let him into her soul. That's what conversion is all about. To be, to unhinder, uh, to give yourself unhindered. You know, modernity has made flesh ultimate reality. And spirituality, kind of an optional deal over here. But folks, you were made so much more of heaven than you are of earth. Let me get very graphic with you. This is very, become made very real to me. My parents, we're going to spread their ashes on the beach later this year. Both of my parents right now are in six by 10 inch boxes in my back hallway. But their spirits are soaring with Jesus. We are made so much more of heaven than we are of earth. These earthly bodies that we adorn and, and we cry out to God to change and, you know, we want more beautiful and we're jealous because somebody has, can do this better than I can and I can't do a 360 there like John Moran. It, man, we are way too focused on this. We are spirits and there's a sense in which Jesus is coming to this woman and he, he wants to get deep in her soul. Trust, faith precedes intimacy. There are many of us in this room that claim to be Christians, but have you ever really let Jesus into the deep recesses of your soul? That's what I love about the, the emphasis that we, and the practices that we've been doing in Sunday school. And we're doing the silent retreat. You know, we've done it twice now or... Um, yeah, twice now, and we have a third one coming up in May. The whole point of it is us to be quiet, to literally experience God Himself in the deep recesses of our hearts, and it become a natural practice, because that, this is not the only place you can experience God. He has made you spirit that you might worship him from your spirit. This is what we read. The hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Not by the spirit of God, but from your spirit. Through the truth. Not just, oh, I'm going to worship creation, but through the mind. Understanding who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit meeting me in my spirit literally feeding me in the intimate places of my soul to make me whole and brave and strong. That's the only thing that's going to get the believers in the Ukraine through what they're going through. It's to experience the reality of a God that is bigger than death, of a God that is bigger than a bomb, of a God that is greater and stronger than anything they face. A God who can protect their children, and if He takes their children, He's still good because why? We're made so much more of heaven than we are of earth. 
But friends, that's the same God that can get you through your day tomorrow that you don't even want to be at. Yesterday, I was thinking about these principles. I'd been in Nashville doing some work, and I was 80 miles toward Memphis. When I stopped to get gas, and I looked in the back seat, and my briefcase was gone. Therefore, my sermon, my, my, my pad, my, my computer, everything was gone. I had to drive back to Nashville. A three-hour trip took me six and a half. And you know what I was thinking the whole time? The lover of my soul is with me. I wanted, I found this bumper sticker at the Love's truck stop where I got gas that said, warning, I do dumb things. That's how I was feeling about myself. I almost bought it and put it on my car. But you know what? Jesus knows that. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you three more hours with me. <laughs> That's the lover of your soul. It reorients life as he woos us to himself. You say, there's no way I could ever give up everything and follow Jesus. Well, it's all about value. If we were out in the hallway before this and you were, you know, needed to fill something out or write somebody's name down, and I had like a cheap, you know, 25-cent big pen, and you, said, and, and you asked me, hey, can I borrow that pen? And I said to you, uh... Yeah, for $10. You would look at me like, are you serious? You'd kind of laugh, and then I'd have this serious look. Oh, you're serious. You're crazy. I'm not giving you $10 for that pen. But if we were out, so you, why? $10, $10. That pen is, you know. But if we were out in the hallway, and you asked for a ride, and I said, hey, why don't I just sell you my brand new, which I don't have, by the way, my brand new Mercedes GLS SUV, $160,000 price tag. And you said, uh, you're crazy. I said, no, just 10 bucks. What, 10 bucks? Are you, are you, yeah, here's the title right here. We'll, we'll do the business right here on the title. 10 bucks. You would say, all I've got's a 20, keep the change. You would forget that, that 10 bucks would, that 20 bucks would fly out of your hand so fast. But here's what we're doing when we reject the gift of God. We're spending $10 on a big pen thinking it's going to give us life. When God is saying, I'm not even asking you for $10. Here it is. Would you take it? It's all a matter of opening your eyes and seeing that, that nothing in this life can give you what you need. Your spouse, your house, your job, your children, your parents, nothing. But Jesus can. Would you drink deeply of Jesus this morning? That's what this table is all about. Would you accept Jesus this morning? You say, well, I've been a Christian. I'm not asking if you're a Christian or not. Would you accept Jesus this morning? Would you say this, I choose you. Say that from the deepest recesses of your heart. Say it to God. I choose you. Because that's what faith is. God wants to be chosen. Would you choose him this morning? Let's pray right now. And I would love for you or let's just bow our heads. And I would love for you to spend some time, just a few seconds with God, saying to Him, if you're willing, I choose you. The reality of Him choosing you is not a question mark. <laughs> That's what He was telling His disciples. And He said, I want you to do this over and over again. 
And what I want you to hear is, I choose you, now you choose me. That's what this table is all about. If you choose God, this is your table. If you know there's no hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's life, death, and resurrection, this is your table. If you've never taken the elements before, and you are saying for the first time, I choose Jesus, I would love for you to, to partake of these elements for the first time by faith. If you've never, if you've taken the bread and the wine for years, but you know you've never really chosen Jesus, I want you to come to the table and choose Jesus. And let this day be the day that you receive him into your soul and you live an intimate life with him. That's what we're built for and it's what we need. The Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends. 